also bringing your attention to your body, wherever it was. <coughs> Bringing it to the attention of your breathing, the sensations of the breath in the body. You may feel the breath at a particular place, such as the nostrils and the upper lip or through the nasal passages, the throat or the chest or the belly. There may be some place where it's particularly noticeable. Or you may feel it in a more generalized way. As we tune into the breath, just bringing the attention to noticing whether the in-breath is long or short, whether the out-breath is long or short, just noticing how it actually is. isn't one that's better than the other. And the in and the out might be different. change. After some time of being long, it can be short, or vice versa. And then because we're noticing the length of the breath, possible to just shift the focus of the attention to intending to feel the whole experience of the breath from the very beginning of the in-breath through the rise and the tension to the end of the in-breath very beginning of the out-breath, all the sensations of relaxation and falling of the belly and shift of the clothing, movement of the air all the way through the very, very end of the out-breath. It gets very subtle at the end, but we intend at least to 
be with that whole cycle. Not worried so much whether it's long or short, but to experience all of it. a bit such that we experience the breath as widely in the body as it seems to pervade. So it may start right at the tip of the nose, but the breath spreads through the body, maybe beyond even where just where the lungs are as the whole body takes in that oxygen very quickly flows through the heart and is pumped throughout the body so we may feel the breath energy widely and we just open to the idea that the breath spreads throughout the entire physical space of our being letting the mind just rest in the fullness of the breath in the whole body.
as the mind settles in and just rides the breath, we may notice that there's a feeling of ease with that. Even if the body still has some tension, even if the mind is distracted and doesn't land on the breath for the whole breath, there is a certain ease and tranquility to the rocking, swaying sensations of breathing. So we allow ourselves to notice that, to appreciate any sense of ease that is coming from doing this practice. that sense of ease spread through the body, carried on the energy of the breath. Think of the breath as an internal massage, gently working its way through the tissues, softening the hard edges in the body. Flowing through the little crevices, providing an inner massage allow yourself to receive this very natural flow actually flows through us all the time, tuning into that massage-like quality. of ease or tranquility in the body, there's a natural joy in the mind, a sense of, ah, yes, 
so nice. It may not be a lot. There may be other things in the mind also. But any sense of delight or joy coming from this flow of breath through the body. We open to that in our mind. Training ourselves to experience the pleasantness of this practice. spread. It's okay to appreciate it and even amplify it a little bit in this practice. Practicing opening to mental pleasure. we allow the mental joy to combine with the physical ease that we're cultivating, there may be a softening into a very sweet, gentle kind of happiness that pervades both the body and the mind, like cool water flowing through the channels of our system, refreshing, moistening, softening the mind and the body. Even if there are other thoughts, other things happening, we get a little softer a little quieter as we open to the sensations of breathing throughout the mental formation and the physical formation. to breathe in and out. You may feel as if the breath is 
passing through the mental activities that are going on, the thoughts and emotions, the breath flows through them like it flows through the lungs and the legs, the arms, right through the thoughts. Opening the space in the middle of the brain where the thinking muscle is, it too relaxes like the physical muscles do. Bringing some degree of ease to our otherwise active thinking and emoting mind washing it with the breath. resting as we breathe in and out, whatever degree of physical and mental tranquility. Breathing in and out. Softening the system. Second session on breath meditation. Yes, 
Maybe if we turned off the heater, you wouldn't have to strain your voice. Okay, that would be great. Um, Jim, could you reach over and just turn it down so that it clicks off? Yeah, that's good enough. Wouldn't that or enough? That should be okay. We'll see. It may not even go back on. It's pretty warm in here. It'll be nice white noise in the background with a guided meditation <laughs> on the tape. Okay, so the second session of breathing meditation, and what we did in the guided meditation was the first two tetrads. Um, you remember from last time that the instructions, there are 16 instructions for breath meditation and they're divided into four sets of four, and each set corresponds to one of the foundations of mindfulness. That's just a top-level review of what we covered. But I wanted to um, give an opportunity now for any comments on that guided meditation or any comments or questions on the practice that you may have been doing with... um, with the breath over the last two weeks. Anything? Yeah. It's, um, for me, it's been very important. In what way? Mm. Just, uh, I find it to be really strong and helpful. Doing breath meditation practice. Yeah, this this is really uh, mm. something that's so encompassing. Yeah, encompassing of what for you? Oh, I think you know the structure of it um, uh, makes sense intellectually, but also the practice of it. Yeah, it kind of flows together, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, I feel the effect of doing the meditation consciously just comes into me. Uh-huh. When I'm so in daily life, you feel mm-hmm. also, do you feel some of the tranquility from it? Is that what you feel? Or do you just notice your breath during your daily activities? There is calming. There is calming. It's a good focus. Good. And and I I well I'm eager <laughs> to hear about the next the next section. Yeah. Just, okay. Just to have some elimination. All right. Yeah. We're going to get on to that one. Yeah. Let me just pause. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Have you been here before? Yes. I, I was under the assumption tonight was refuge. Oh. Um. Tonight is. Uh, Sutta study, actually. We're doing breath meditation. You're welcome to stay if you want, but we're working from a Buddhist text that has instructions for how to do breathing meditation, and we're on second class out of three. Yeah, you want to stay? Okay. I'm sorry you missed the guided meditation, but there will be another one later. How long um, does it go for? Oh, we, we should go until between 8.15 and 8.30, so another little more than an hour. You good with that? Cool. Yes. Well, let me um, toss over. You guys will have to share that one. Sorry, we interrupted. That's okay. Thanks for coming. So, Yeah, Refuge Recovery is on Tuesday nights. I think I saw 
was something on Friday nights. But oh, is it at a different location? I think so. If you guys can find it on your phone and, and want to go to the other location, that's okay, but you're also welcome to stay. Left them in the car. It's all good. Thank okay, you. It took great. us a while to find a parking spot. So. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So, um, any other comments on the meditation or the practice? And those who were here? Yeah, well, hi. I was kind of interested to find the... Um, Viku said that he, he disagrees about the um, the point about the whole body of the breath. He he feels like it's not of the breath. He feels like it's just of the body. Um, You're talking about Tanisaro? Yeah, Tanisaro. Uh-huh. Um, his note number two. He, he uses whole body meditation, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's always what he's taught. Yeah. yeah. So there is a disagreement. We talked about this last time about what the um, third step means. Yeah, of the first tetrad. Experiencing the yeah. third step of the first tetrad. Experiencing the whole... It's an unclear expression in the Pali. It means the whole body of the breath. It's like, what is that? And so... Or is it... Or I think it's just sort of the whole breath body. And so some people... Say it's in time, from beginning to end, and some people say it's in space, through the whole body. Um, I kind of offered both mm-hmm. in the meditation yeah. that we did, with the sense that one or the other would work. Um, does anybody have preferences? Which one works better for them? You? The whole body. You like works. the whole body physically, yeah. 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 Although, of course, developing continuity of mindfulness, you know, one really should uh, be there with the whole temporal movement, but for me, I think the physical body, um, feeling it through the whole body makes sense. I also heard a talk by Pika Bodhi on it, and he actually intended to drop that phrase of the breath Uh out of it and just leave it at the body. Okay, yeah, so he's thought more about it himself. Well, I'd never, before... our last class had any idea that, that this whole sutta that is actually supposed to be step by step instructions. That yeah. was kind of earth shaking for me. Yeah, like there that. actually are meditation instructions in Yeah, here. that it's like you're yeah. actually supposed to work through them. Like, oh, okay. But I have a question about that too, because in the same talk where Bhikkhu was talking about that, he was saying he doesn't think that they're necessarily sequential instructions, but rather looking at it from different points of view, sort of like a layering that all of this is happening at once, just like you know all the condos are present at once, and you can go at it from different points of view and different things. So yes, you can go through it sequentially, but there's places where as you get further into it, it actually loops back into earlier stages so it doesn't entirely make sense to think of it just as the sequence. I think both of you are correct um, (laughs) in that this set of instructions, uh, they do go deeper and deeper, and so there's no reason why you couldn't just take them from 1 to 16, and it could be basically prescriptive, um, and that would be a fine practice. And um, what you're referring to more, Jim, is that it also, and this is often true in the teachings, is that 
they, they look prescriptive, but they are actually descriptive, or they end up being descriptive, and they end up, um, it's not so much you have to do this as if you practice, this will unfold in your mind. And you can notice, you can notice that this sequence of 16 things will unfold if you start focusing on the breath. I don't think um, you need to choose one or the other or say one is superior to the other. Um, But the result of doing more the observation is that uh, you do get loopbacks. And so, you know, but I think that has to do a little bit with, say, how focused the mind is. You know, this is a process that's happening, and relinquishment at the end is pretty significant thing to do. And so the mind may not be in a state where it's going all the way to number 16. It gets to number 7. And then um, mindfulness is very intelligent, and it will say, we're not quite um, tranquil enough yet, and it will loop back and go and soften the body a little bit more. If you actually observe how your mind goes, even though you're intending to go through these 16, like on the second tetrad, you still Mm -hmm. felt your body, right? Every now and then you'd notice, oh, there's a thing in my shoulder relaxing. Well, somehow mindfulness went back to your body. Um, And that's okay. It's not like, you oh, no, I did the wrong thing. You know, while you were focusing on number six of experiencing pleasure, uh, something in the body relaxed. So that was still in in the uh, mix, in the mind. Or you go back and realize that you've kind of lost track of breaths long or short. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you may want to do that. Yeah, and so you may realize, oh, so, or the thought will arise, oh, that was a very short breath. So something in you is still tracking that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's fine. It's fine. But generally these go from... Uh, you know, more easily connected right at the beginning to things that are going to unfold when your mind is more deeply concentrated. It's very hard to start later in the series. I will describe um, as we go along some things that I've observed also. I've done this practice a lot and I did an entire three-month retreat where I did nothing but this. And so let me tell you, I did the 16 steps a lot of times and I saw different ways that they appear. And so, and I don't think my experience is unique, but I also don't think my experience would be exactly what would happen for you either, so I'll balance those two as I talk about it. Okay, um, any other stuff on on the practice? Move on. Yeah, mostly. So is, is mental fabrication the same as the mind states? No, it isn't, actually. Uh, mental fabrication is... It's like uh, thoughts, emotions. Um, it's, it doesn't quite correspond to... I, I have a little question about how one-to-one these correspond to the foundations of mindfulness, actually. But that second tetrad is really about the feeling, um, the second foundation of mindfulness, which is feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So it has to do with the affective quality of the mind or what Bhikkhu um, uh, Analio would call the hedonic quality of, of experience. So, you know, am I liking it, am I not? And we focus on the pleasant part. That's the, that's the nice thing about this practice, is it's biased <laughs> toward the good stuff. Um, I, would st- I would put those surface-level thoughts and emotions in that category also, even though technically they're not part of the second foundation of mindfulness. So you're now getting Kim's interpretation of this. But I think that layer is what gets cleared on this tetrad. And the mind states is the third, is a little deeper, which we're going to talk about tonight. Surface chatter, I think, goes in number two. And that's why it needs to be tranquilized. 
This is the one where you calm down the, you know, in the mind that's going all the time. So the body softens a little bit, and then the mind quiets a little bit. It's not that you're totally silent at the end of the second tetrad, but um, getting there. You should be talking a little bit less in the mind. Okay, so let's, um, let me talk now a bit about the third tetrad, this third set from 9 through 12. Uh, that's going to be um, our main focus for tonight. And this is the tetrad that um, supposedly corresponds to the third foundation of mindfulness. I think it's pretty good. So, um, but let me talk through it. So this is also four training instructions. And I have, um, I have Bhikkhu Bodhi's version, and he says, we train experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, concentrating the mind, and liberating the mind. So what is that? Um, this, I would say the, the word I like to use to describe this layer of the mind is the flavor or the mood of the mind. And this is a, a subtle part of the mind. It's not, you know, we think of mind as like, okay, now we've gotten really big, and it's the whole mind. But it's actually, it's kind of like the cosmic background radiation that's going on in the mind of, um, you know, like we can generally be, we may find that we're generally in kind of a negative mindset at some time. And it's not that there's like a specific thing that we're worried about, but, you know, we've just gotten up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, and so we're not in it, we're grumpy, basically. And what happens when the mind is like that is that everything we see is wrong. You know, we come in and the kit, you know, we, we don't see that the bright sunlight is streaming through the kitchen window. We see that there's dirty dishes that our housemate left in the sink. And so, you know, it's in, and we may realize if we've done mindfulness practice, after we see that and then, you know, we didn't like the fact that the, you know, milk had gone bad and so we had to have something else for breakfast and so forth. Uh, we start to realize, you know, this is me. <laughs> it's not really that the world has everything wrong with it. I'm in a lousy mood right now. And so we, but it actually takes a fair amount of understanding of ourselves to know that background, subtle level of the mind. And we can also have, you know, happy background mind. We know sometimes people who are in that state most of the time, and we marvel that these people are always kind of cheerful. And it's not a fake cheerful, like they're, you know, smiling over something, but they genuinely have that kind of affect to them. So that's what we're talking about on this. Um, I like I like a model where, of, I've, I've heard a model of concentric circles, and that might, might not be how you think, though. The body is on the outside. And the body is what's contacting the world. It's the most surface-level thing. Um, and it's also pretty obvious in our experience. We know what our body feels like often. Um, and then, you know, a little bit farther in from that is our emotions, our surface-level thoughts, our, you know, how we are in the, on the inside in terms of mental chatter and what we're feeling. You know, if someone said, how are you? How would you answer that? Happy, sad, etc. So that's the next layer in. 
And then more subtly, we have this thing called mood or mind state, which is this flavor. Um, it's, it's, I'm not putting it all quite totally at the core, but it's a little farther in. It's something deeper about our being. And usually, the way you can tell the difference between a mood and an emotion is that moods last longer. Basically, emotions are pretty short-lived. It's been found, actually, that um, if you do nothing with an emotion, it is gone in 90 seconds. You know, that's how long the chemicals last in the system. Um, so if you get a hit of anger because you know, somebody runs their grocery cart into you, um, it'll be gone in 90 seconds, unless you are feeding it. <laughs> So if you've ever had an emotion for more than 90 seconds, you are contributing. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that first 90. That's, that's the chemicals. But, you know, the part where we say, well, darn it, that really, we're you know, going on and on and on, we can be angry for a while, but that's because we're feeding it. But moods, I think, last a little longer. That's something more background in the mind uh, and a deeper layer. So this mind tetrad that we get to with these four instructions is this um, somewhat deeper, more subtle layer. And the inclination of it is toward concentration. That's what you see in this, in this tetrad. And so it's interesting how it's laid out. First, there's... Um, we simply make connection with how the mind is. Because we, you know, we may not have noticed. We may have been caught up in all that thinking and what we're going to do tomorrow and, oh, my body still hurts and what step am I on with the tetrads, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, by step eight, tranquilizing the mental formation, that is starting to quiet down a little bit. So we have a body that's relatively tranquil. We have a mind that's getting softer at least. You'll still have some thoughts. And so then, when that is smoothed out a bit, that's when we get to, we can do step nine. We can experience what is the background flavor of my mind. Utejaniya talks about this. He's a Burmese teacher who does mindfulness of mind as his main teaching. And I won't go into his whole teaching, and I don't think it's a one-to-one map with this tetrad, but it's related. And he describes four basic flavors of the mind. You know, if, if you're just a beginning-level mindfulness of mind practitioner, what do you look for? And the four options are greed. <laughs> you know, I want something. This is the mind that is wanting something. And sometimes it's not that we want a particular thing. You know, we, we do have times when we say, I really want a cup of coffee. I think that's more at the emotion-thought kind of level. This, this, what we're talking about with the background flavor of greed is a mind that's just wanting. You know, you walk through the store and you're looking for something that you want. <laughs> or you're on the internet and you're looking for something interesting. You know, what, what do I want to know about? I'm going to go to Google. Let's see. We have a background. We want something. We want to know something. We want to buy something. Um, so this is this background feeling of wanting. Second option, aversion. Not wanting. I'm irritated. I don't want this. It's too hot. 
I'm tired, I'm hungry, a background sense of, uh, you know, go away, change, please. A background sense of not satisfied with things and having an, uh, of the aversive flavor. Greed is also not satisfied, of course. But sort of an, uh, an aversive. And we know people who are just generally like this in their mood. They're always kind of irritated and you just get used to it. But it's kind of a downer. But we can get into this state. And sometimes we don't notice. But we can if we've done enough mindfulness. Third flavor, delusion. <laughs> so you might recognize these as the three poisons. Um, delusion, usually if we have a background sense of delusion, it's kind of a haziness or dullness to the mind. It's not quite tiredness. It's more like not really making the effort. I just want to stare at the TV, you know, whatever. Not really connecting with experience also. Kind of a feeling of dissociation also. Not like the, you know, specific mental condition called dissociation. But, you know, we can have a sense of not really, you know, not really there. You've driven somewhere and you arrive and you realize you have no memory of anything that happened since you sat down in the car. Kind of scary that you were on the road in that state, but it does. This is a a sense of not really connecting. Delusional background mood to the mind. The fourth is a ray of hope. Peace. The mind can be at peace. We can be in none of these uh, difficult states of wanting, not wanting, or not connecting. Those are the three. Not wanting, wanting, not wanting, not connecting, or peace. You know, the mind could be relatively balanced. It could be relatively okay. Things are fine. And we actually spend a fair amount of time in this state also. We are not barraged all the time with things being bad or things not fitting with how we want them for some people (laughs) but sometimes we may notice that um, we're basically at peace that's worth noticing actually sometimes we skip over that looking for the next thing that's wrong surely there's something wrong here so a background of peace and if you're on retreat you may experience longer periods when the mind is at peace because you don't, you don't have to do much on retreat. So, um, of course, you'll also experience periods where the mind is, for no reason, irritated. But you can have long stretches of, of peace on retreat because if there's so few demands on you to be something. Okay, so the first step, experiencing the mind, is what state are we in? Now, breath meditation practice is not so much analytical at this point. It's a little bit. It's um, kind of kind of insight, kind of tranquility. It's actually these first three tetrads have both tranquility and insight in them. So we can, if we want, take a moment. But basically, we're breathing. Um, so still, while the breath is going in and out, and we're experiencing it physically and mentally, we just check in. We just open. Okay, while I'm breathing... Is it generally wanting, not wanting, not connecting, or peace? You know, what is that flavor? And it's not so much that you have to put a word on it, because the mind was quieting down in step eight, fewer words. But you can just feel it. It's like, ah, you know, what's that flavor? So 
So then, the next step is gladdening. Gladdening the mind. That's kind of nice. So this is at that subtler level. You know, we already had um, rapture and pleasure. Um, I'm talking about steps seven, five, and six, which um, Tanisharo Bhikkhu might have a slightly different word. But basically, rapture and pleasure are kind of top-level emotional kinds of feelings. And then gladdening, gladness. It's like we're training the mind toward a feeling of well-being. This is a deep well-being in the whole system. And as with the previous tetrad, we are biased. It's okay to incline toward what's good, what's pleasant, what's well-being. Um, so, and it doesn't mean that you're expected to feel this and you say, okay, now we're going to feel well-being. <laughs> that doesn't really work. We can't create that. But um, it is possible to incline towards it. We can look through the spectrum of our experience at this point, which is getting somewhat subtle, and we can find a little bit of well-being. You can't get to step nine and not have any well-being in your system. So whatever degree there is there, we pick up on it, and we say we put more attention there, we kind of filter our attention toward that, and allow the mind to gladden. Let all those everyday concerns drop away. You're just breathing. And the breath is pretty good when it's smooth and calm. It doesn't matter if it's long or short, deep or shallow. It's no, there's no better breath, worse breath, um, more spiritual breath. <laughs> but whatever it's doing, there can be a gladness behind that. And we, you know, we point towards that. Why is this important? Um, my sense is that because this tetrad is moving the mind toward a more concentrated state, this is relating to other suttas. It's resonating with other suttas that say that um, happiness is a condition for concentration, which is almost always true. Sukha precedes samadhi. And you'll see this, for example, in the Upanisa Sutta, the um, Transcendent Dependent Liberation Transcendent, sorry, transcendent, dependent, arising. Um, we see often that one of the conditions for the mind really getting focused and composed, not focused like a tight laser beam, but composed, we'll talk about this one next, is that the mind should be a little bit happy. And some people worry about that. They say, well, I'm not happy, or I thought concentration was supposed to make me happy. <laughs> I wanted to concentrate so I could get happy. Now you tell me I have to be happy before I can concentrate. Oh no, I'm not happy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's okay. If we do um, practices like breath meditation, the mind will learn to tune itself toward what feels good in the practice. And that's okay in this practice. And we're not just being totally neutral. And um, we will discover how to move from a feeling of happiness and well-being, how that naturally unfolds into concentration. So basically, we're pervading the whole of awareness now. The body, the mind, the subtle layers. Quite a, lar- quite a large part of our experience, actually. We are imbuing or pervading with, uh, with gladness, with well-being. So then we get to the next step. 
Step 11, Concentrating the Mind. Or uh, what does uh, Tanisro Bhikkhu say on that one? Steadying the mind. That might be better. Uh, that might be a little better. I, I worry about the word concentration because um, people think of this kind of laser beam, narrow, furrowing of the brow. <laughs> like, you know, like we were told by our elementary school teacher, concentrate <laughs> or something. Um, I mean, I have good associations. Concentration, steadying is good, gathering is also good, or um, I like to say aligning sometimes. That's a free translation, but in this context, aligning works pretty well. So there's a feeling of um, all the different parts of the mind have been aligned. Because we've actually gone through a large amount of experience at this point. So your body, the emotions and thoughts, and hedonic feelings that we're having and the overall mood, the kind of umbrella that's holding that, the background that's holding that, um, all of those become aligned with what? With the breath, (laughs) with the in and out breathing, because that's what we're doing. We're still focusing on the breath. And so the body is just flowing with the breath. We're feeling it through the whole being of the body. The, um, at the end I talked to, at the end of the guided meditation I talked about kind of washing the breath through our thoughts so we have our mental part of our mind is aligned with uh, the in and out breathing and you can actually feel I have actually noticed I don't know if you will but I invite it um, the breath in the mind as a kind of a, a feeling of um, pressure is the wrong word but densification and rarefaction of um, experience in and out of the mental faculty. It actually has the same kind of feeling of the in and out breathing. And then we've also allowed the breath to pervade the whole background. So basically everything in our experience, it's like maybe you can imagine if you were sleeping by the ocean or sleeping under the ocean, you know, and everything is just, you know, that, um, rhythmic kind of rocking at this point in the experience it's a lot like that and so this is um, constant this is breath concentration is like that and there's a feeling of that I would say the characterization of that is a feeling of wholeness it's actually very healing um, yeah, healing to do this kind of meditation because it unifies our whole system of body and mind if you do this practice for a long time, it really starts to pervade the system. You already found it after just a short time. So wholeness and well-being. And there's a lot of satisfaction. This, um, the concentrated mind doesn't have a lot of dukkha in it. It doesn't have a lot of unsatisfactoriness. It doesn't mean that you have nothing else going on. You could still have thoughts. Your body may even have areas of tightness, but it's kind of okay. It's kind of okay. Um, So then we get to step 12, liberating the mind. What is that? What could that be? So, of course, liberation is 
you know, the aim of practice is that we're aiming to liberate the mind from suffering, from the defilements, from the underlying tendencies. But it'd be kind of anticlimactic if we were totally liberated at step 12. Why would we need to do steps 13 through 16? So my sense is this is not pointing toward the ultimate liberation of the mind, but to um, liberation from the hindrances. So a concentrated mind has no has none of the five hindrances in it. Um, hindrances being sensual desire, ill will, restlessness, sleepiness, and doubt. And those are gone. Those are just gone by the time we've gotten to this stage. So we experience... and. So that's already there. If you've done step 12 and the mind is concentrated, then basically it's let go of those hindrances. The hindrances are hindrances to concentration. And, but this step says, acknowledge that. Actually notice that your mind is free from the five hindrances. Because sometimes we miss that. We, we sit down and we meditate and we're feeling a little bit calmer. Like, say, like, let's say you just do a simple 20-minute meditation in the morning, and you start out, and you're um, thinking about everything you need to do, but you say, no, no, I'm going to meditate. And you sit down, and 20 minutes later, you feel calmer, and you're ready to begin your day. Usually what we notice is, we may notice, yes, we're calmer, um, but how often do we notice what isn't there? I mean, do we actually notice the absence of thinking about things? This is encouraging us to see the absence of the hindrances. What is not there? Oh, this is a mind that doesn't have a lot of sensual wanting in it. I want my coffee. I want my chocolate. I want, I want, I want, I want. That's not there. Or uh, ill will, you know, grumbling and griping about that person that I have to deal with at work. Not there. Um, The mind is balanced in terms of its energy. So it's not falling asleep, but it's not... Um, agitated, worried, anxious, not there. What does the mind feel like that is not anxious? Did we ever notice that? And it has no doubt at this point. So that doesn't mean that all your doubts have been eliminated forever. Um, but it's it's true that when the when the breath is really pervaded experience and you're having a, and a feeling of wholeness, it's very difficult to simultaneously think. I'm so bad at this practice. I don't know if it really works. I don't know if I can trust my teacher. Those, that kind of stuff doesn't really come up when you've got the breath pervading the whole of your experience. You know something good is happening. Um, so this is some um, temporary suppression of those five difficult mind states. Now, if you want to be technical about this tetrad, um, there are teachers that interpret it to say that you get to various stages of jhana in the concentration section, you know, which are actually absorptions, you know, deep absorption, special states of mind, um, and that you know, liberation is very particular liberations from, of course, from the hindrances, but um, also the things that you let go of, like when you get to the, for example, when you get to the Second jhana, you've let go of, um, of directed thought and uh, sustained and directed thought. 
And when you get to the third jhana, you let go of joy and rapture. So you can notice that those, um, if you get to the fourth jhana, you've let go of uh, sukha also, let go of happiness also. So you can look back and see that you've let go of these prior factors because you've attained higher and higher jhanas. Um, I don't think that's necessary. I think that could happen as you do this practice more and more. Then you're going to, the, the phrase liberating is going to have different implications. Um, but I think at a first pass through, just being liberated from the hindrances, even to enter access concentration, which is not jhana yet, is fine. It's not that hard to get to access concentration, actually. Lots of people can do that. Um, yeah. Are there comments at this point? I have a few more things to say, but I feel like I've been talking a lot, and we went through the four steps. So are there any questions about that? I don't know if it's a question, but since uh, you've been talking a little bit about technical or whatever, uh, in my own practice, when I get to this point, it seems to me like excess concentration is where I'm going into. Because then it seems I have either the choice, I, I alluded to this last time uh, when we had this, it seems to me it's at that point I have a choice to either start trying to move towards a one-pointedness to go into jhana, or to move towards a more dynamic uh, awareness and move more into the pasana. Mm-hmm. And that type of uh, mobility seems to me not to be jhana states, but yes. rather access concentration. Yeah, I, I usually refrain from being from making declarative statements about other people's practice, but that seems reasonable to me. I know you have a lot of experience with this. So yeah, thanks for putting that out. He's pointing out that um, at this access concentration, the mind has some choices about what to do. And um, we'll see when we get to the fourth tetrad that the choice made in breath meditation is to go into vipassana practice, uh, not into one-pointed concentration. Although you could, I guess, do uh, step 11 deeper and go into jhana if you wanted. But um, the first three tetrads, that, uh, up to the point we've talked about now, all are about both tranquility and insight. So this is um, this is a combined path. You're not doing dry insight practice because there's a favoring of the pleasant. You know, dry insight practice, pure mindfulness practice. You don't fa- you don't lean toward the pleasant. Uh, you do uh, you, you develop equanimity and actually and just being with things as they are. Um, so that's more of a, you know, features of concentration practice is to really bring in the, the juice, basically, the good stuff, the moisture. Um, but if you were only doing jhana practice, you wouldn't be doing things like um, deliberately uh, noticing whether your breath is long or short. You wouldn't be deliberately remembering that you're doing different steps and moving through a sequence. Well, you do a little bit in jhana practice, but this is not straight jhana practice. You're noticing things about the mind. You're noticing different layers of the mind. You're doing the body and then the feelings and then the mental formations and the mind. Yeah, the reason I brought it up is not so much to, for technical things, but because, like I say, uh, breath meditation has been my primary practice for a couple of years now. And when I first started going into this state that um, is, as far as I can tell, or I've been told, is probably access concentration and stuff, it was not a state I recognized, mm-hmm. and so it took me 
quite some time in talking to various teachers, Gail and Inez and other people, to try and get a handle on what it was that I was experiencing because I wasn't expecting it. And I'm still in the process of trying to figure out what's going on at that stage because mm -hmm. it's the it's state that I seem to go back to fairly frequently right now. Great. That's so, good. That's why I'm bringing it up with you because I'm using you as well to try and figure oh, out what's okay. going on. Well, I'll say that my experience of access concentration is that it's the, um, it's the point at which I know that I won't lose the breath. I will not lose the object. That's how it's defined. That's how I know it's a concentration state. And it's, for me, it feels like um, swallowing the breath. I swallow it. I, it's, it's not a total unification of jhana. Um, that's yet one more step. But there's a sense of, yeah, swallowing is the best example. That's a word I can use. And I know I won't lose it. Okay. Um, so I wanted to just mention briefly the uh, correspondence between this tetrad and the uh, third foundation of mindfulness, since they're that's um, described in the Satipatthana Sutta. Since this um, Sutta points out that this corresponds to the four foundations of mindfulness, we're, we're going to talk, I think, next time about how. Yeah, we'll talk next time about how that comes about. But in the Satipatthana Sutta, the third foundation of mindfulness is called mindfulness of mind. And the instructions in that text are um, interesting. They are to observe the presence and absence of various mental qualities. That's all you do. And remember, this is, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta is dry insight practice, so it doesn't talk about concentration at all. But the things that you notice are well, here's the only place it talks about concentration. You notice whether the mind has lust or does not have lust. And the same for hate, delusion, whether it's contracted, distracted, exalted, unexalted, surpassed, unsurpassed, concentrated, or liberated. And in each of those cases, you notice whether it is or isn't. And I, I, what I love about this is that there's two important points about that. You can say, well, what's the point? You know, what's, what, why is that important? Why is that a whole foundation of mindfulness? There's two things. One is that um, it's completely non-judgmental about how your mind is. You know, especially when we start practicing for a while, we start thinking that our mind should be a certain way. You know, oh, my mind really should have no hate at this point. Or, you know, we we have subtly or not so subtly developed biases about it. And the third foundation of mindfulness just cuts through that and says, this is a mind that's concentrated, this is a mind that's unconcentrated. Isn't that great? You could have a whole meditation saying, wow, this is a really unconcentrated mind. And you'd be doing the third foundation of mindfulness. You know? Um, this is a totally unexalted mind <laughs> that I'm in right now. And it's fine, you know, it's fine. There's no judgment about how your mind is. And so this trains us to notice that the mind, it just is what it is. The mind itself, like what state it's in, is conditioned. It's conditioned. We're not in control of that completely. And so um, it, it really is where you start developing some freedom around your mind and how it is. This is not beginning meditation practice, actually, to be neutral about a mind that has hate in it, for example. But if you're sitting in meditation and you're not acting on it, 
it's not a problem. And it's actually fine to feel that completely. This is what hate feels like. How liberating. It's totally liberating. Um, so that's one thing. And I said there were two. The other is, the, is more subtle. It's that we're to notice um, a mind that doesn't have certain things in it. You could say, well, so what? But this is actually more important than you realize. To sit and realize this is a mind without hate in it. I don't know what's in it. It might have love, it might have um, concentration, it might have generosity, whatever, but it doesn't have hate. And to notice a mind without hate is to start noticing, in general, the absence of things. The absence of hate, the absence of concentration, (laughs) the absence of liberation, the absence of delusion. So often we notice the presence of things. I mean, that's the first thing you do in mindfulness practice. Notice. Notice your experience. What's happening? Where's your body? Where's your mind? What feeling tone are you having? It's all about this, 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 seeing this, seeing what's there. This instruction is see what's not there. It's really different. And we haven't really trained in that, most of us. And it's actually important um, in practice to be able to see what isn't there. Why? because cessation is something that is not there. That's the third noble truth. It's freedom. <laughs> freedom is something that's not there. Suffering. This is, there's no suffering. Have you ever noticed when there isn't something? And so this starts to train us in that skill. It's, it gets subtle, actually. <coughs> So, I think that last step of liberating the mind is the part that corresponds to seeing what isn't there. We see that the hindrances aren't there, and that that's an important thing to start to see. And you'll understand that when we get to the fourth tetrad, (laughs) which includes, for example, noticing fading away and cessation. You've practiced by noticing that the hindrances aren't there. Okay, so are there any last comments on this? I'd like to do a little guided meditation on the third tetrad. Yes, question. So, uh, when it says liberating the mind, could it be that it is being in that state not requiring the mind to maintain that state. Kind of like in the way that you oh, say like, to somebody, oh, okay, I've got it, you can go now. You know what I mean? So you let go of effort, basically? You let go of having to do anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like It's, it's no longer the mind that, that's driving. Oh, I see. You let go of the will to create that state. Maybe not letting go of the will of it, but just not requiring the mind mm-hmm. for maintaining it. Because up until that point, it's the mind. The mind is active and, and directed. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. So liberating it from that earlier directedness that it had. Yeah. That's an interesting way of seeing it. Um, I think there's something to that. There's something to um, maybe you're 
pulling your hand away just a little bit where it used to be shaping the pottery. You've got the nice pottery now, and you kind of let it be as it is. This is how it happens in concentration anyway, is that uh, it takes on a momentum of its own. But I wouldn't say that the mind is going inactive, because, um, and I know you weren't saying that, but because we're about to do some serious observation in the fourth tetrad. So the mind has to be very sharp. It has to be right there with experience. But you're right that it doesn't, it, it, it's about to switch. Actually, you're uh, jumping ahead to the change of verb that comes in the fourth tetrad, which is to observe instead of to train. So you're right. There's a sense of liberating the mind from its idea that it's doing something. That's a nice observation. Thank you. That adds something. Yeah. Okay, so let's um, let's go ahead. Finding a meditation posture that's comfortable for you. Maybe allowing the body to settle in and find an isometric posture. Taking a Long, slow, deep breath, and just letting it out slowly to connect with that process of breathing. And then allowing the breath to be natural again, however it is. Feeling the breath in the body, how it pervades all the little spaces, especially if you relax the body, it's easier for the breath to flow down through the shoulders, all the way into the hands, up the neck, through the head, down through the chest and the belly, all the way into the legs. It's even okay to imagine the breath flowing into different parts of the body. You could have it flow in the back of the head or the back of the neck. It can flow in the front of the chest. It can flow into the low back or up the legs. All of these are various gates. Not to make it a project, but just to allow the breath to easily pervade as much of the body as is available right now. Particularly to flow through the the brain, the head space, softening out the thoughts and emotions that might be bubbling around in there. Not in any way attacking them or suppressing them, but flowing over them like soft, gentle hands, like we might calm an agitated puppy by stroking it.
gently stroking the body and the mind. Tuning into the underlying flavor or mood of the mind. Sensing if there's just a background sense of wanting or not wanting. Some dullness or disconnection. Or if there's basically some peace. There may be different components. What's the substrate of the mind right now? Letting the mind flatten out like a broad, calm lake. And the mood is like the arching sky over that lake. The breath is the wind that touches both the surface of the lake and all the way up into the sky. The breath is unifying what's below with what's above. And this brings a feeling of deep well-being, like the wholeness of that nature scene. We feel that wholeness through our being. Brightening, like the rising sun over the lake. A sense of satisfaction small amount of that we appreciate and amplify. We sense the deep alignment of our being through this unifying sensations of in and out breathing. The body and mind moving together with the gentle flow of the breath in and out. sense of wholeness and satisfaction. We're aware around the periphery. There's some absence in the mind. It's felt maybe as a sense of space. The opposite of that cramped feeling when the mind is busy and unhappy. Now there's space, absence. The 
find us some degree of freedom. Just being with the in and out breathing. And if it begins to wander or dull out a bit, we just bring back the memory of that wholeness and well-being, the openness, the in and out breathing, steadying and stabilizing the mind around that wholeness. sun, it may feel pure, like very clear, cold mountain stream water. feeling of softness, suppleness, like flower petals or a feather. It's very supple. Allowing these feelings becoming familiar with the mind that is whole. visualization 
but somehow I really enjoyed the the lake and the sky. And oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Some people um, hear analogies like that and, and see things. Um, they're also intended to be feelings, like sensations, and what would it feel like to be on a boat in that lake, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do whichever works for you. I'm glad that I'm glad that one worked. are all so quiet you must have just sunk into Jonathan <laughs> yeah that is that's a particularly sweet tetrad <laughs> of this uh, of these 16 steps okay so I want to just um, mention a little bit about the fourth tetrad just to give you a Preview. Um, this one, there is a change of verb. So the verb, at least in Bhikkhu Bodhi's version, the verb goes to observe. What does uh, Tanjeff say? Contemplate. Contemplate. Okay, that's fine. Also, so the um, the first two steps you remember were understand. So that's kind of like observation connecting, making sure you're there. And then the next um, 3 through 12 are train, training the mind to do this or that. And so that's this directed um, sense that you, you know, we're training, we're doing this. Got to run my six miles today. You know, hopefully it's not like that. But there is a sense of, um, you know, we're doing something here. And then, um, as Kavita nicely pointed out, the twelfth step says liberating the mind, we could liberate it from the sense that we're training it, in the sense that we're uh, taking directed action with the mind, because steps 13 through 16 have the verb observe or contemplate. And this is um, much more, it would not be passive, would not be the right word, but... um, there's a sense of like we've spun the wheel and now we're going to let step back and let it run and see what's going on there. And these steps are observing. What is it that we observe? <laughs> we observe impermanence. So let me back up one step and say that a concentrated mind, often in the text, it's not in this one, but all over the texts, uh, a mind that is concentrated is said to lead to seeing things as they are, or more precisely, as they have come to be. So a mind that is concentrated sees things correctly in a way that we do not see things correctly when we have our normal, distracted, slightly distracted, wanting consciousness that we have most of the time. But when the mind becomes very concentrated, very still, very unified, then we start to see clearly. You know, it's like the jar with the mud in it that we always hear about in Dharma talks, and when the mud finally settles, one of the qualities is that the water's clear. You can actually see through it, and so we can see correctly. And what we see, when the mind is very steady, 
is we see change. It's very interesting reversal, is that a mind that is moving, which is how we are most of the time, you know, mind that is moving sees things that are permanent. It sees things that are uh, solid. This is the suffering that we have. We see a problem as just, it's always going to be that way. We see ourselves as, I'm always going to be this way. This situation is unworkable, intractable. Everything is solidified, hard, difficult, stressful. When the mind becomes very still, the world becomes very fluid. (laughs) Everything is workable. Everything is changeable. Everything is satisfying and sweet. (laughs) It's very interesting, um, but you've got to get there. You know, you have to do the steadying of the mind to see this, to see how, actually how much change there is in the world, how fluid things are, how workable. It's quite beautiful, actually. <coughs> so that's the first thing we observe, is the impermanence. I'm going to go through the other steps in more detail next time. Um, But now that we've seen all 16 steps, at least at a top level, um, I want to point out one more structural feature of these 16, which is that each tetrad ends with something that's related to letting go. So step four, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Let go of all that tension. Step eight, tranquilizing the mental formation. Let go of the thoughts and the chatter and the swinging emotions. Let go of all that fascinating stuff about who said what and what am I going to do tomorrow and all that. Step 12, liberating the mind from the hindrances. Let go of what gets in the way of seeing clearly. So really cleansing the mind of the habitual griping that it does and the habitual um, energy imbalances that come about in the mind. And step 16, relinquishment. That's the big one. That's a bigger one. We'll talk about that one next time, but what does Tanjeff say for relinquishment? What's step 16? Sorry, I thought you had it right there. No, I don't. Okay. Does anybody have Tom Jeff's version in front of them? Who doesn't have their eyes closed right now? <laughs> okay. He trains himself. I, he, I will breathe in, focusing on relinquishment. Relinquishment. So he uses the same word. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Almost always Tom Jeff tries to use a different word. Yeah. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> they agree on this one. Yeah. So relinquishment is an interesting word, right? Because it, it's not a common word. We don't. We very rarely say that word, and so it's not so obvious what it means necessarily. Um, you might check in your, you know, you might just check through your experience what it seems to mean in these. Um, you know, we'll do these sixteen steps at different levels. So I don't think we'd have to worry about relinquishing absolutely all of our attachments. But relinquishment is kind of a serious letting go. You know, it's a sense of, this is not serving me. I am not going to do this. You know, there's no I in there at this point, as, as so much. But 
really a, a commitment to let go. No more of that. Done with that. So this is um, in layers. So each of these tetrads helps us to let go of something. And yes. I, I just this week heard a song lyric that I really liked. It went, um, there isn't much you get to keep. Here's a little tip for you. Keep the change. Aha! Uh-huh. I like that. I thought it was a very dharmic. It lyric. really is. That's the only thing we can keep, right, is the, the change. <laughs> Beautiful, thank you. Do you remember what song that was or who the artist was? Uh, it was somebody, Lamott. Okay. John Lamott. John Lamott. It's titled Keep the Change. Keep the Change. All right, we can all go and listen to that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any um, further comments on what we've done so far tonight? Who knew there was so much in the breath? Okay, so um, I'm being mindful that I know there's a two-hour limit in the lot, and so I'm we may end a little early, but I wanted to um, also mention uh, the homework for two weeks from now, which is November 11th. So please reread MN 118. Um, you can go over it again. All the stuff about fulfilling the four foundations of mindfulness and the seven factors of awakening, we will talk about that next time. Um, not in a lot of detail, but what we will, so you can read through that. I think that's largely an unfolding from the instructions. I really want to focus on the practice, get you guys really grounded in the practice. Um, but we will talk about that. And then um, a second one, I'll send this by email also, but a second sutta to read is MN62. So it's the same book, but the 62nd Discourse which is called The Greater Discourse on Advice to Rahula. And it's got a lot of other stuff besides the breath meditation in it, so you can read through that as you want. But um, there's, pay attention to kind of, he gives Rahula, Rahula is the Buddha's son, and he gives him instruction on breath meditation in this sutta, that's the point of it. And how he gets there and how he, uh, what else he pads it with is interesting. So kind of see the place of breath practice within the larger uh, context of training his son, who was probably 14 or so at the time of receiving this advice. And for your practice, please practice on the Panasati and you might particularly focus on the first three tetrads that we talked about tonight, so up through concentrating and liberating the mind. So we'll be doing it as a combination tranquility and insight practice, but feel free to focus on the concentration part since we don't do that quite as much uh, in our in usual instructions. And so what that means is really letting your attention sink into the breath and just... Um, 
a lot of the metaphors around concentration in the suttas have to do with feeling. They're about touch. You know, there's, there's stuff about lotuses in the water and pervading the entire body with the breath. And um, oh, the, the first jhana is uh, massaging water into soap powder to make a soap ball. Or more modern, you know, massaging water into flour to make dough. And just, you know, really no section is untouched. So feel free to let the breath be like that for you. Let it fill every crack and crevice. Feel the pleasant sensation of that and what that does to the body and the mind to really devote yourself to the breath. There's a logistical thing. Uh, we will meet. We will meet not here next week because there is a Friday night insight on Veterans Day. I'm sorry, not next week. Two weeks from now, they're on November 11th. So we're going to meet at Insight Retreat Center, which is at 1906 Glen Canyon Road. It's uh, not hard to get there in the evening. You're going the other direction from the traffic. It's just up in Scotts Valley. And um, we'll be using the main meditation hall there, so you can just drive in. The gate opens when you drive up to it. Free parking. Free parking. (laughs) Right. It's a lovely, lovely space, and they were kind enough to let us use it. So we'll meet at Insight Retreat Center on November 11th.